welcome to Lang Time Chat and David doing things, <laughs> waving his hands around for all who cannot see him. I was doing that for their benefit. And when I say their benefit, I mean the listeners. Obviously, because I think they could probably hear the disturbance of air as you were waving your hands. They could. You want to know something amazing that I just learned about? There is a camera that is so sensitive that it can capture the vibrations in an in like you know a video so that it can actually reproduce the sound that would be horrible for our current sound environment i feel like because one okay we've got instruments hanging behind us so if you've never seen the videos you may not realize this you can but hear them Ooh. there we go so they would actually show up so imagine though if that got magnified through this this sort of camera. Also, I have found that we are close enough to the pool in our complex mm -hmm. that um, you can hear kids screaming in the background. Yeah. Um, or adults. I don't know who's doing the screaming. There's mm -hmm. a lot of screaming. Sounds like kids. Uh, but if you could imagine like all those disturbances being magnified, I I feel like it would be very distracting. Can so. you can you imagine though a photograph of a trumpet player from like years past and they can produce the sound he's making that would just be crazy that would be bizarre mm -hmm. anyway welcome uh today's topic was actually one that was inspired by um our work outside of lang time uh, because we had a line for something that we were translating and the verb in english was to have mm -hmm. But it didn't make any sense for the language we were working with to use that same verb. Uh, it also didn't make sense in the overall structure of the sentence, you know, like when you start semantically breaking it down, thinking, well, why in the world does English even use have in this particular way? And so we decided to focus today on sort of a deep dive into translation strategies for specifically for a semantically bleached verb in your own language. And so we're gonna look at to have today. And yeah. we each had an assignment, had an assignment, speaking of to have, yeah. um, where we were supposed to come up with a list of ways that we use have in English um, that probably wouldn't necessarily be translated the same way um, in other languages. Yeah. And so I don't know if you did. did. You didn't bring anything have related to the table other than my copy of the world lexicon of grammaticalization because you know it's the superior one i brought my cellular telephone <laughs> did you know that on phones cellular telephone on phones they have this kind of digital paper imagine imagine a note that you write just on a, a notepad but it could be on your telephone <laughs> that is just too bizarre for me to consider. It's like this camera with vibrations that you're trying to talk about. Yeah. Um, so also you used to have like twice in that sentence. And so that was fun. Oh, have I? Indeed. <laughs> uh, and so actually, and I don't even think we're going to touch on using have for grammatical purposes, like supporting as an auxiliary yep. uh, for. It wasn't the intent, but I can actually explain how we got it. Oh, go for it. But uh, but we'll, we'll get there. One thing, the reason I wanted to bring this down uh, is the world lexicon of grammaticalization is that there's an entire section on this. Uh, 
because it's called, um, I believe, H possession. Um, and, and this is uh, alphabetized, right? From the top for the, yeah, the see, source. Have, see, H possession. Yes. And do you yeah. think that a hyphen comes before everything? Evidently, it doesn't. Wait. It's right. Well, it became H possessive. Right. I mean, it's showing all the sources to target. So if yeah, you want the target, I, yeah. you got to look up the appendix. You're right. I need to look up. I'm Maybe so... you need to reread that tutorial I created on Patreon for how to use the World Box. <laughs> well, I'm hoping they would have a little write-up, you know, for, uh... for H possession in general, because that's what I wanted. Uh, uh... He is now looking in the um, index. I believe it's all under possessive, though. And then I think it breaks it down into it's a something and then um h i think yeah okay b possessive and h possessive there we go and a possessive um i don't know what a b possessive is well that is something we can talk about on other days unless no you're gonna go there aren't you i am gonna go there i'm gonna go there um Hold on, I just, I just want to look real quick. It's always super fun on podcasts when the people doing the podcast take a break to read a book. Oh, belong. The belong possessive. Mm -hmm. Okay, so okay. let's get back to H possessive. Is this where we got our grammaticalization of to have? Uh, so this is actually how we got the, 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 uh, the, the one for to have. So... All right, I want you to imagine for a moment, go back in time and imagine this. Okay, we're a language, English, that has only really two verb forms, mm -hmm. uh, a past and a non-past. And so like I bind a book, I bound a book. All right, now imagine that we already have this verb have, which we did, mm -hmm. the H possession have. So you could say, I have a book. I had a book, just like you could in Latin. And then imagine this language also has participles. And so um, you could say, I bound a book, but you could also um, say that there is a bound book. A bound book is on the table. All right. Now you can combine these and say that you have a bound book. Mm -hmm. All right. Mm -hmm. Now, the... There is another way, thing that you could do here. I have a book in a state. So in other words, it's kind of like I paint the wall red. Right. You can have a red wall, but you can also paint a wall red. And so you can bind a book, but you can also have a book bound. All right. So. Suddenly you have this expression, I have a book bound, and there was a reinterpretation. As a side note, I'm very suddenly now realizing why German verbs are at the end mm -hmm. with the participle, or not the participle, but the auxiliary in its place. So that yep. is exactly how that happened. That and then is it got exactly how that happened. Analyzed as the, the quote main verb of the sentence. Yeah. And then in English, 
they were like, that's so weird that we have this verb here and this verb at the end. Why don't we just put the verbs together? And suddenly you get, I have bound a book. Fascinating. Was there ever a stage in English? And really, I should know this more than you. Mm -hmm. But I'm asking anyway, if there is a stage where the same thing happened with the, the present participle kind of version where it was like, I am a book writing. I have absolutely no idea. And so I don't either. Um, and I don't think so. I think that actually came from a completely different set of circumstances, but that's yeah. just an interesting little. I've actually been very curious about that present participle because I wonder how far back you're supposed to go where that wasn't just the normal way to do the present tense. Because it's like, if you start thinking about it, it's like in the 1800s, like, oh no, pretty much they, they did use B plus Xing for the present tense in the 1800s. And it's like, well, how far back do you have to go before it is the usual way to say, what do you, I eat? Um, I used to know this, but I honestly can't, beyond knowing that in Middle English is when it became more, more codified. Mm. And so it became a more set way of doing it. Um, but there was definitely early Middle English, you still saw the... I eat now. So, so basically um, and some... eat you something or ate you something, you know, like you still see those kinds of patterns. Um, but it was that transition, which is why like there's, there's a lot of theories about why it came about. And like some people have even said it was um, partially from the old English, um, the Anglo-Saxon interaction with uh, the Celtic language speakers because there is a similar construction in Celtic languages that that they thought may oh, yeah. have affected but that's also just a theory there's no clear reason but definitely old English you're going to see that just straight up present tense be be used um, it's really as it gets into middle English stages where you start to see it become a set pattern across not just certain dialects but eventually across all dialects of English so somewhere between Chaucer and Shakespeare basically. Yeah. And I need to look at Chaucer again to see if Chaucer even uses that simple present tense as much as we may have thought. I honestly haven't. One that April. It's a shorter sota. The drauchta march it perset to the root and so on. Exactly. Um, but I'm going to say because, yeah, he had the the TH, which was the the present tense without having the to be blinking. So, mm -hmm. um, so yeah, between Chaucer and Shakespeare would be a good time frame if you're interested in that particular phenomenon. Cool. But that has right. nothing to do with to have. The initial yeah. one did. And that's super interesting because that made a light bulb moment go off for me with German. I never questioned why it happened. I didn't question why Old English um, had similar structures as well. Um, and that is super fascinating. All right. So let's yeah. talk about to have those. So some of the first examples that came to mind were really obvious ones, right? Uh, the ones where it's like, well, it's obviously an idiom that have is used as the verb for. And so um, it feels more in your face that you would have to do something different with it when you translate. So some of the more in your face examples that I came up with. Okay. Excuse me while I move right. that window over. Um, so I have like a summer, more obvious list, like to have a cow, right? Don't have a cow, man. Oh, I see. Let's start with the second one to have a fit. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> something I never do. Because and something you never do when, you know, you're translating things. You never have a fit. <laughs> I think that this, uh, this to have a fit, it's kind of like, uh, it, it was one of the starting points for a broad metaphorical extension that, um, that uh, works for a ton of stuff. So it covers a ton of stuff. So if you start with to have a book, right, where it's a, a very literal thing that you can actually see. Um, and then uh, you talk about, well, okay, your third one actually has a different meaning, but I mean, literally to have like an organ inside of you, to have a stomach, to have a liver, uh, to have a brain, right? That's a different type of thing because you can't see it, but you know there's a possession there. Um, when it comes to medical conditions, though, it's, it's kind of a gray area. So we have to have a fit in the oldest sense, you know, uh, it, now it means to get mad, but older to have a fit meant something like a sickness. Mm. And then you could also have a, like a coughing fit. Yes. And then you could have a headache, mm. a heart attack and things like that. And so that was, I think, one of the first extensions, right? Some sort of a medical episode. It's something that's happening to you, but it's in your body. Mm. And, and so, so you, you can not see it. You can't see it, but you can kind of have it the same way that you have the organs that are inside of your body, right? And so if you'll accept that, then it wasn't too far to go to say something like to have a headache, mm -hmm. um, to have the vapors, uh, to have a fit, to have a heart attack. Um, so I think that was one of the first branch offs. And so suddenly it was like, now you can have these things that are very real that you can see, but uh, that, that you can see the effects of, but you can't see the actual things. So you know? off the top of my head, thinking about these kind of medical extensions, and we can, mm -hmm. we can get to, you mentioned the third one on my list. We'll get to that in a minute. Yeah. Um, but other ways I can think about semantically talking about that is you don't have a heart attack, you experience one, yep. or you walk through one or you sit in a heart attack or you like these are yeah. all different verbs I could imagine being metaphorically extended in the same kind of situation without actually using to have and in fact if you want to look at a language where you don't use have for this uh, the most common thing is to have a very um, basic verb that means to suffer and I think one of the reasons that we shy away from that in English is that uh, since we had have, and it's so mm -hmm. useful and we use it in so many ways, we didn't really have to use suffer. And so then suffer underwent pejoration, essentially, because uh, it usually just means to like to feel or to endure, right? But suffer now has a very negative connotation. Suffer, though, that came from Latin, so we had to have an older Oh yeah, the English word that I'm trying to think of what it is. I should know this. Uh, Ugh, my brain is is this, rotting in the summer months. This is sometimes where um, Edam Online or Wiktionary is useful because sometimes they will tell you like this word supplanted this older right. English word. Um, but with that though, there can be languages that have words that mean something like mm -hmm. suffer that has a much more neutral interpretation that's kind of like undergo. Yeah. Um, and so when you talk about things like fits or heart attacks, you just use this verb and uh, that's totally you. It is totally me. Um, and um, it doesn't mean anything like it doesn't mean anything bad uh, necessarily just by itself, whereas uh, suffer on its own is a very negative connotation. Um, so that's something that as an English speaking conlanger that you have to kind of like 
you know, removed from your mind that suffer necessarily has to have a negative connotation mm -hmm. to it because that'll take care of a lot of these. You know? Yeah. Do we need to pause for a second? Did you need to grab that phone call? Uh, no, I'm okay. Okay. Cause we can pause and come back, but yeah. Okay. So another thing, so you had mentioned the internal organs mm -hmm. and again, I, I could think of some different strategies, including just having to reword the entire thing. Like mm -hmm. a heart lies within me yeah. or uh, a brain is inside, you know, like some sort of like copula or state of verb that indicates that it, it is just there rather than saying like, I have a brain or I have a stomach. Um, yeah. you could come up with different strategies that way. Um, now one of these relates to my third idiom that I had on the list, um, because you can have a heart, obviously this organ beating inside your chest, but you can also use that metaphorically to talk about somebody who is kind or good and say, oh, they have a heart. Um, and, or you could even like make it like they have a good heart. They have a kind heart. They have a soft heart. They have, you know, like all these different or, types of hearts that we can metaphorically possess. Or the uh, negative of that to not have a heart, which I think is, uh, I don't even, I mean, it's hard to guess where it came from, but it's like the idea is, if you don't have a heart, then you don't have the positive aspects associated with having a heart. Right. And then that's the extension. Like, I don't think if you ever said to, to me, um, oh, that person has a bad heart. I feel like my first interpretation of that would always be with, oh, like heart attack, Medical. heart, you yeah. know, something going on medically. I could, if with enough context, get the metaphorical reading of like, oh, bad heart as in not a good person or whatever. Um, but like my very first thing, if I, if I hear you say, oh, they have a good heart, I feel like I'm going to go metaphorical. But if you say they have a bad heart, I'm going to go medical. Mm -hmm. um, even though a good heart could be descriptive of a very healthy, well-pumping organ. I don't know. Like that's, that's sort of interesting that I would very instinctively take those different ways if I just heard them. Yeah. Given all the cholesterol I pushed through it, I have to think my heart is pretty good. Like it, it can endure a lot. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> you got a, a strong heart for not giving up yet. Yeah. Um, well yes. Done. Yes. Uh, so anyway, that, that is another thing. And, and with some of these idioms, like like to have a heart that are so entrenched in how you use them, it can be really difficult to realize that what you're saying is actually something that another language would not only restructure, but use completely different words um, in the restructuring. Yeah. Uh, and so you have to like dig behind it and say, well, what are you actually saying uh, when you tell someone have a heart or, you know, something like that? What are you actually telling them? Uh, and so doing that, I think is one of the, the more difficult parts of translating, but it's also, I think one of the funner parts where you have to completely reformulate the entire thing, uh, to, to make it work in that language. Yeah. Um, and I just say difficult because then you can't use the, the concepts. You can't just be like, oh, I have a word for heart. I have a word for half. <laughs> you can't use any of that information. And so that's what makes it more difficult, but it's also, I think super fun to be like, how would these speakers, you know, think of being a quote, good person or kind person? And, and how would they, you know, compare that to something else? It's very rewarding when you come up with something that 
is uh, that works very well and and is quite clever and you're very proud of. I mean, honestly, those are the moments I live for conlang, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it's also especially fun when uh, when somebody else comes up with it and then it's just like, wow, I didn't even have to do anything. It's okay, but it's like it's also super fun when you come up with something that you're happy about and then the person you're working with is like, oh my God, that's brilliant. And then you're like, <laughs> it's really good. Uh, it's a great feeling. So all Happens around a lot with Jesse. I'm going to blush now. <laughs> um, and so also I, I have a grumbly stomach. And so if the camera were, were really getting all the vibrations, I think the whole photo would be shaking at this point. No, I couldn't hear it. <laughs> Poor little Jesse. So <laughs> we, uh, we call my my stomach my little Jesse because um, yeah. it's very talkative sometimes. Can I add just something? You keep talking. Okay, so I also right. So mm -hmm. do we want to continue with body parts since you just jumped to the list where there's another body part that means something else, um, or do you want to go on to because another big area is sort of temporally related. Hmm. Uh, well, let's do this one first, because it's kind of fun. The one I just did something with. Right. So I was, uh, my original was to say, like, to have your back to someone. Um, whereas David just put the to me or to someone in parentheses and to have someone's back. Is yeah. yeah, that's obviously very different. That's obviously very metaphorical. And to have uh, somebody's back to you, it could be metaphorical, but it also could be very, um, uh very standard uh well what i mean by that is not um um it is metaphorical of course in the conceptual sense uh but it's it's more about blocking mm -hmm. in other words like you just say oh that person has their back to me right now the same way you could say that person has their front to me i mean well, less uh, common but it's still possible uh and it's simply referring to spatial location mm -hmm. um and yeah, that is a, a strange, strange turn of expression. It really is. This person is standing like, you know, with their back facing me, with their back toward me or whatever, but it's like, no, they have their back to me. It's, it, yeah, it's a very- I'm having a bizarre. hard time, honestly. <laughs> it's why one of the reasons I put it on the list, but it's also um, further down on, on that part of the list. Um, which, by the way, I have, this is really all part of the more, what I, I call more obvious that there's something going on part of my list. We haven't even started thinking about the, what I consider the less obvious ones, which I think can be super tricky uh, when you're translating, because you don't even realize yeah. that it's not necessarily the way other people would do that. But anyway, getting back to like, mm -hmm. to have someone's back, that's like to have a heart where you're going to have to really recreate the entire meaning, uh, thinking about, you know, like, what does it actually mean? And so, you know, in English to have someone's back means you support them, you're behind them, you're. Yeah. It's also a strange use of have though, isn't it? It really is. Like, and, it, and it's not even just like with the, uh, the, you know, you don't even have to use have, you can say, I've got your back, you know, right. slightly different, but um, yeah, that's, that's a strange thing. Well, and what's interesting. Okay. Okay. Speaking of switching over to got, mm -hmm. you can just do a very simplified, I got you. Right. Yeah. Like 
that means like I, I have your back essentially. I've got, I got you or I it's have got you. Um, but if I say I have you, it's totally different meaning for me. Yeah. Uh, or yeah. like if you have someone, um, that, that to me indicates something very different. It's really interesting too, because you can't say I'm on your back. That means something different. Um, yeah. And yeah. however you could, uh, you do use that with like, you know, um, what do you call it, you know, planes and stuff. So it's like, you know, I'm on, yeah. I'm on a six, um, I'm on your six and so on. Um, and that I'm on your tail. Yeah. yeah. I'm on your tail. Um, I'm on your tail and I have your tail. Can you say I have your tail? No, no, I guess not. It, it was just tricking me. It's one of those things. <laughs> not unless I'm talking to a cat and I'm literally holding their tail mm. and I'm like, I have your tail. I've said that many times. Oh, or if it's a Halloween costume and it's like, I'm holding up the tail to your costume Yeah. for your fursona. Then. Mm. <laughs> you went there, not me. <laughs> that, that harkens back to our last patron live stream where mm. David went weird at one point and and so but i could have your tail doesn't sound like me (laughs) um so with the uh to have your back to somebody there is uh there is a lot of uh, of constructions in english where um you have the the verb thing and then the how use a prepositional phrase to say how it affects you Mm -hmm. so uh something else you could say is like you know i had my card die on me yeah um uh, and then that uses have, it doesn't need to, because you could also say my car died on me. But, um, I think if you say I had my car die on me, it's more, I don't know, it puts you more in focus or like, it puts you more in focus in it. And it's more like an experience. And, Mm -hmm. and so it's a bigger deal versus, oh, my car died on me. It's like, yeah, that sucks. But like, I have my car die on me. Yeah, you're exactly right. It puts it like our focus is on you experiencing it. So I guess what the have does there essentially brings it closer to you. It really does. That's what it feels like. Hmm. And so some sort of emphatic strategy. Yeah. Uh, But speaking of of also body parts, um, to have someone by the throat is, again, could be... (laughs) literal but usually when you use it it's um metaphorical for like the exact opposite of having your back it's now i'm in control and i have something on somebody else and in fact that's actually a weird kind of construction in itself uh move uh talking less metaphorical and more literal because you can have somebody by almost anything and mean it literally many of those have been extended mm-hmm. but like you'd say you know i had him by the wrist you could it's same as i held him by the wrist but right. you could just say have um which is a strange thing uh i think because you're saying the first part i have him which doesn't resolve, I think. Like it, it, there's no clear meaning that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. And so then you add the prepositional phrase, which helps to define it, uh, which to me was always a weird thing. Uh, it happens also in Spanish. If you say uh, something like, you know, um, uh, la vez de las manos, which is wash your hands. But what it literally is, is wash yourself the hands. Mm-hmm. Um, which is something that I also found very strange. Uh, and this is that same type of thing. So it's like, it's the same thing. I, I had him by the hair. Yeah. You know? German does something similar where it's um, like to wash or to clean 
something. And then it's like, you have to say like Mia, which is to me, Mm -hmm. you know, the teeth or whatever. And so it's like, you, you do that same kind of situation where you don't say my teeth. Like you don't say like, I'm brushing my teeth. You say like, I brush to me the teeth. And it's really weird because in English, in Spanish and in German, you, we have these possessive adjectives, right? We can say my teeth in Mm -hmm. English, Spanish, and German. There's nothing wrong with it. But in these constructions, we um, eschew it for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. That is really interesting. And I don't like it, by the way, because then I feel like I have to do it in these languages that we create. And it's like, it never makes sense to me. And I don't like it, but it's like, well, I have to do it sometimes. (laughs) Um, But that, okay, so... Those, by the way, I also mentioned another one on my list while talking about to have someone by the throat. Mm -hmm. Because then I said, that means like, I've got something on you where you can have something on someone, meaning like I can bribe you because I have the secret or I have knowledge or I have, you know, information about you that it could be used against you. Um, And so that is another interesting one that it, it makes sense when you break it down, like semantically why it's there. And yet again, when you're approaching it from another language, you would have it very differently, potentially, yeah. not just potentially, but probably. I actually have no idea how to say that in any language other than English. And that includes any of the languages I've created. I have no idea how to say that. I feel like you would almost have to break it down um, for some languages clausally to say like they know information yeah. or they... Like, because really the concept there is like, they know something or they have evidence, they possess evidence, they are touching evidence, they hold evidence uh, against me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so it's like, you, you would almost, I, I feel like it would almost be broken down with some relative clause structures or very different verbs at that so point. They be something like that. I don't, but it's like, it feels like if we have an expression for it in English, it seems pretty like there's a pretty good chance they got expressions for it in other oh, languages. Oh, sure, um, I'm sure. And I just you know never. I suppose that's not something that you really talk about a lot in language classes. Right, right. Like, how do you blackmail someone? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> these are the these are the really important lessons. Uh, but that would be interesting. And one place to find that information, I mm-hmm. feel like, uh, would be in court documents because that would be, you know, like, do they have evidence against you? Do they, what, you know, what do they talk about when they're charging somebody, if they have a a kind of court system, like we do, if they don't, then at that point, you know, not even sure how they would talk about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it does seem pretty reasonable that that would be a, an expression at some point in the language. Um, then again, you could also conceive of a society where like, that's so taboo, like you don't keep secrets about other people and like use it against them that you just, you would have to do a whole phrase, a whole clausal situation. It's also weird because uh, I mean, one is using the have, but also that it was on you because right? you just say I have yeah. something about you, but it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, because yeah, if I say I have a story about you, then I'm just going to be telling a story about you it's no big deal but if i well you can even say stuff like this menacingly it's like i have information about you yes but you can't say i have something about you oh yeah you can't yeah it's got to be on but also if you say i have information about you i'm less likely you would have to really say it menacingly or in a context where it'd be super menacing versus i have information on you 
that immediately makes me step back and go, oh, there's something going on here versus like, okay, I true. have information about you could be like super basic, like, oh yeah, I, I know your birthday or like, I already know this information, social security number or whatever. Yeah, uh, that's right. <laughs> I got it and do whatever I want with it. But there's also speaking of to have something, mm-hmm. right? We also have like these really interesting, you can have it out, you can have yeah. it in for, you can have it bad. Yeah. And uh, I, I wrote these down, especially have it out. So uh, all three of those are strange, but you can uh, have it out for somebody or you can have it out with somebody. And they mean two entirely separate, separate things. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that the first one makes more sense. So if he says something like I have it out for him, you could imagine that thing being a sword you know, you have it out and it's for him to have it out with someone makes a lot less sense. And if you just say to have it out, the implied meaning is the with someone meaning. Yes, it is. Because like, if you say, we had it out, yeah, X and Y had it out, like you understand that they were fighting. uh, They, you know, they had some words. There's another yes. one to have some words. Yes. Um, th- I think that these two could be related because if you have it out for somebody, then the implication is they haven't got it yet. Okay. Otherwise, why would it be for them? They right. just sort of had it. Right. Um, it's kind of like, say, if I have a present for you, the automatic interpretation is that you don't have it yet. Right. Um, and then if you have it out with somebody, you can't do anything with anybody unless you're both there. Right. And so if you have it out for somebody, then you go and have it out with them. <laughs> right. <laughs> together. It's a together activity. Um, yeah. But yeah, these are all, and I don't really necessarily want to focus on each of those in turn because there's a lot there. Yeah. Um, and there are still some other ones I want to get to on the other part of the list. Yeah. Um, but we also have a lot of time expressions um, because we in English treat time as something that you can own, possess, and use. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, there's like a time is money metaphor, right? You can save mm-hmm. time, spend time, et cetera. But that also means you can have time, mm-hmm. uh, which means you can, you know, have the time to read. You can have time to cook. So you can have time in that sense, but you can also more metaphorically, um, you can have a day. Like if I just say, oh, I've had a day, mm-hmm. you know, that that means it wasn't a good day. Um, I, you can also have the time of your life. You can, mm-hmm. you know, like there's all of these uh, different ways that we then apply that, but it all comes back to the fact that in English, we treat time as something you can possess and not all languages do that. And so this one I think is super tricky because I know a lot of people want to dig in, in our streams to like, what about concepts for time and things mm. like that? But you really have to break it down and think how do difficult. they how do they view it? Because if they view, for instance, time as something you see passing by, then you can't own it, you can't take it, you can't possess it. Um, so instead, you're going to have to, you know, maybe you saw time, or maybe you, um, you know, see a day, or that's right. That's actually a really like it. That's really a good expression. I like that idea. Um, I saw a day. Um, 
did something like that in Valerian. I'm trying to remember what it was. Well, that was actually the language I was thinking of because um, the concept of time in Valerian is like water running, which means it's it's passing by. And so, because I, I remember one of your conceptual metaphors was that the water hitting the rock and, and whirling around it, you had something, you explained it to me and it was so cool. And now that's, it's like, you don't even remember. That's a Wraith, yeah, uh, Valerian. Really? Yeah. I totally thought that was Valerian. Hmm. Wrong one. Yeah. But anyway, in another language is yeah. <laughs> David's <laughs> um, viewing, you know, the running water as time that that really puts you outside it. And running water is not something you can have possess or really do hmm. things because it's no longer running if you. Yeah. If you take it out of the <laughs> river. Um, and so you would do, you would experience and talk about time very, very differently, all the way down to what verb you would use, uh, you know, with it, mm -hmm. um, just to be able to say things like, I have time to see you or whatever. Yeah. Or if I just asked, do you have time? I Literally have, is just asking. I have the time of my life to see you. Can't mix them. Can't go mixing those metaphors. Mm. <laughs> it doesn't work. Um, but that is also interesting that to me, like, um, if you just say, oh, she had a time or she had a time with it, like that's negative versus, oh, she had the time of her life, like is always going to be positive. Mm. Even if like, and so to say something negative, like she had, you have to say she had the worst time of her life where she had a horrible time of her life. Um, like you have to like actually modify it uh, in, in ways to make it negative. Yeah. And then of course in my head, I'm singing the song and watching the lift happen. I've had the time of my life. Um, I would not have a good time if I had to do that lift. There's David doing the lift with his hand wasn't very good it was I'm, not i'm glad that nobody saw that <laughs> but right. they will on youtube okay so some of these then like kind of go back and forth because some of them are maybe less obvious um versus more obvious on my my list here um but one thing that i have come up against i know with thinking about languages um, is that it is, I think, kind of odd that in English we do treat so many things as possessable um, to the point where like you can have a car, right, which means I own a car, yeah. but then you can also just say, oh, I have a son. Mm -hmm. And like that puts owning a person sort of in the same category, right, as owning these very physical possessions. Um, and so this gets to, you know, like, alienable and inalienable, these kinds of ideas. Uh, but it's also just like the concept of how would the language handle having like in a family line, I have a father, I have a son, like that's a very English way of saying it. Yeah, I this is one of the first kind of aha moments for me, because uh, you learn this when studying Arabic. Arabic doesn't have a verb uh, for to have at all. Uh, and by the way, this is something in case this hasn't come across it. There's some uh, languages that don't have a verb uh, for each possession. They don't have a verb for to have. But um, Arabic uses two different prepositions for having, for example, uh, a car and, uh, and a mother. 
So it'd be, you know, andi sayara. Um, and and is kind of like a preposition that means at or on. So, uh, and it also doesn't have a, a verb for to be. So there's no to be in here. Uh, so it's, you know, andi sayara. Uh, at me is a car with no is. Uh, but li for um, uh, mother would be, you know, um, li um, right? That's a word for mother, isn't it? I have no idea. I'm just nodding to be like, that's cool. Well, I know um is mother, is my mother. So, so li um, um, and that's I have a mother, li ach, which is uh, I have a brother. Um, and uh, and again, no verb for to be there. And, and and this, by the way, this preposition, it, it doesn't inflect, but... Um, the pronouns in Arabic can be attached to uh, prepositions the way they can be to verbs. Mm -hmm. So, andis, um, I have, anduka, uh, it would be um, you have if you're a man, anduki, you have if you're a woman, and so on. And the same thing with, you know, li and lek, leki, leka. So, mm -hmm. yeah. That is, so that's, I think, super cool. Mm -hmm. um, and then also along with like separating out like actual possessions that can be had versus ones that can't, um, that you don't own, um, is also our differences to say like, I have a son, meaning like in general, like that's just in general versus to have a baby or like, oh, she had a son yesterday, you know, like yeah. meaning to give birth and we use it in the same, we, we use the same verb there. Yes. We can use different, you know, ones, obviously, if we want to say like, oh, she gave birth yesterday, mm -hmm. but you can be having a baby, meaning you're pregnant, um, or you can be like actively having a baby, mean you're giving birth. Uh, but we used to have there in so many situations, um, which again, is not something that, that you would to, do. Yeah, it's a really weird trick of telicity with the same verb. Because it's like, you know, I have a daughter, that means I have a daughter right now. I had a daughter, it meant that, uh, you know, I was associated with somebody who gave birth to a daughter. Um, but it's also something that you could say after they've died, I had a daughter. Um, and, you know, I don't anymore. Um, and it's a different interpretation. If with each of those things. One is like an ongoing, you know, state. Uh, another one is an event, a telic event, you know, the idea that, I mean, even though it does, doesn't just happen like that when you give birth, you know, the idea is at one point you didn't oh, and at one point you did. <laughs> doesn't just, just happen like a sneeze. Yeah. Versus, you know, if you say something like, you know, I, I had a, a great grandfather, um, that's also, it's not necessarily telic, but it was like, yeah. Well, I guess it is, but it's like, it's not looking at it as a, a change of state. It was, there was a state that occurred for a long period of time and that period has ended, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I will say the, the ambiguity disappears when you take it out of children, because as soon as you say like, I have a father or I had a father, That's true. at yes. no point is yeah, somebody right, thinking right, you gave right, birth. You're right, you're right. Um, it's only if it's, you know, baby child, um daughter son or so on yes um and so that's like 
the the only way that we have that. But um, but then that is also like, and actually going back to the Arabic example, would there be a different preposition for like, okay, so I have a mother, but then I have a boyfriend or I have a husband. Is there a different? No, you'd use Lee for that. And when I say Lee, that means I, you know, on me, right? Right. Um, uh, You know, different pronouns for the different ones, but you'd use Lee. As well as like, I have a friend or, Uh okay. Um, Because obviously those relationships are very different. So I could conceive of a language actually using um, different verbs or adpositions uh, to talk about the different levels of quote having uh, when it's things like, okay, everybody has a mother. So it's like, that's going to be a very like inalienable kind of thing uh, versus, you know, having a relationship like a friendship or something that, you know, is a little bit more potentially Mm -hmm. alienable, Um, but still being very different from like, I have a table. Yeah. which also sometimes doesn't even mean I own it. You could just say I have a table in my apartment, but maybe that furniture came with the apartment and it's not actually yours. It's just like, oh yeah, it is. There is a table in, in the apartment. Yeah. And I, that, that's so bizarre now. I'm just like, it really gets in, in your head when you start thinking about the ways that, that you use your own language. Um, and that's also... Okay. So another one, speaking of objects that you can have, like to have glasses um, or to have contacts, Mm. um, which usually when you say that, what you're actually saying is not like, I own them. What you're usually saying is actually something more along the lines of, I need help seeing. Yeah. And so like, I can be on the phone with somebody and they could be like, you know, talking about something I don't, I don't know, like having to wear 3d glasses at a movie or something. And I could be like, oh, I have glasses. And what I'm really saying is like, I have to wear these other ones to see, and that's going to make it hard for me to put the 3d glasses on because they never fit over the actual glasses that you're wearing. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, you can use it in a way that actually doesn't have anything to do with the fact that you're trying to point out that you own them. You're trying to point out, like, I can't see without them. Indeed, because, you know, I have glasses, but right now I don't have glasses. Right. Those things are true. (laughs) They're Um, both true. And and so what David is pointing out is that most of the time he can't actually see. Yeah, this is, but this is also like one of those uh, places where, um, you know, we think about uh, changes in verbs as being on the verb. And here it's like an article. Um, So it's like. Saying I have my glasses doesn't mean the same thing as I have glasses. Right. So if you say I have my glasses, then I'm assuming you, you have, have them, them with, with you. you. They're on you. They're on you. Yeah. Uh, which doesn't mean that they're necessarily on your face, just somewhere with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that that does really change. Or if you say I have the glasses, now it's like, yeah, you're like holding a pair of glasses we've been discussing not that you necessarily need them or that they're anything related yeah that is really interesting that that completely changes Hmm. yeah 
it's kind of the same thing when people are asking about you know valerian it's like well there's no distinction between you know uh and the so like shouldn't any of these translations in english be okay it's like uh yeah but it's like with the tense you're using and the context here um it makes much more sense for this in this situation to be indefinite this one to be definite it's 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 a, a weird type of thing where it's like it doesn't necessarily matter what's there and what isn't there um the interpretation can be very strong mm -hmm. unless you really build up a context to force it to be something different right right but um, these are all things that, again, I feel like they're less obvious by way of being idiomatic hmm. um, in the way that we we use them in our daily life, because I feel like it would be super tempting if we were handed a line that says, you know, um, I, I don't know, um, Bobby has glasses. Uh, and so we, you know, in translating that, look at it and think, oh, OK, right. you know. Gosh. here's what we need, but we would need to really step back and say, what are they actually saying? And we may end up even having to throw the whole line out and be like, start over and say, you know. Yeah, it could be like something different. Like you, you could imagine a, a language that uses the verb need there instead or use. Right. Yeah. Anyway, um, by the way, I'm looking at the time. I'm knowing what you got to do. You got a list here. We do have a list, but also like there's a lot that we could conflate and That's just true. ones we could throw out to be like, hey, remember, again, things we don't think about as much like, mm. oh, I'll have the fish at a restaurant mm. where what you're saying is I'm ordering or this is please bring me <laughs> this thing. Imagine that say to the waiter, you know, I'll have the fish. He's like, oh, you will. <laughs> you think that's going to happen? you're gonna pay for it <laughs> oh my gosh um or like to have a party which means you know that's a tough one that is a tough one because then all the other ways that i was about to say are also very specific to english to throw a party to hold a party um and so it's like these are all very englishy and so you would need to really again think about well what does that actually mean for your speakers to host Gosh, throw is People. weird too. You throw can, is very weird to throw, throw a, a party. You can throw a party, a shower, um, mm. anything else? Oh, but if you have a shower, you're more likely talking about actually bathing. Yeah. Like I've had a shower today versus I'm throwing a shower for someone. Mm -hmm. um, I could say I had a shower, meaning like somebody yeah. threw a shower for me um for with gifts and you know baby shower wedding shower whatever uh but like that would really take context otherwise if you just out of the blue said oh i had a shower i would assume what you meant was you were in water yeah <laughs> and imagine how much world building and just background information yeah. goes into the expression to have a vacation <laughs> yes it's just so much like <laughs> It implies so much. Yes, yes, it really does. Um, also, to have a dream, to mm. have a goal, to have potential. These are all, again, very like, you need to get inside the space of what does that mean? I think one of my favorite pairs, though, was like to have power. Mm. Because that can, without context, very obviously to me, take two very different meanings. I have power meaning like the electricity is working mm -hmm. versus I have power meaning like I'm in charge, um, which 
in charge then leads back mm -hmm. to electricity. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, um, but those are very, very different, but it's like why I have power would mean I possess the electric currents that are currently running and actually running. Um, because like that, I don't know, maybe you don't talk about it as much when your power doesn't go out as often. Um, but especially where I've lived in the past, that was a very big deal. Do you have power or do you not have power yeah. uh, when speaking specifically about utilities and whatnot? Or like some people would actually build like little cabins that didn't have power at all. Um, but they were, you know, really meant for like hunting cabins or off yeah. the grid cabins. Um, and, and so, yeah. If you think about uh, the, the like what this buys us by saying this is um, if you were to speak more literally, um, you would be losing a lot or you'd be bearing the lead quite a bit because basically uh, something that would be more literal, again, the, all of this is couched conceptual metaphor, but something that would be more literal would be to say, you know, you know do you have power? You could say, uh, yes, there is electricity running to the house or yes, there is electricity running to my house right now. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's like- Which is in and of itself metaphorical for the running. Yep. Uh, and it's like, you have to get so far before you get to the, my house part. Right, right. <laughs> and it's just like, and also there is constructions are just kind of clunky. Um, it's so much easier if you put the, like, you know, the subject right in front and then you just use this bleached verb and then the thing, Yeah, you know, uh, it makes it a lot easier and a lot quicker. And it also gives the person the information they want quicker because we're so lazy. Instead of, do you have power? No, it's not that we're lazy. We're trying to be efficient. <laughs> Otherwise we'd be wasting time. Um, I always yell at my students when they say, um, you know, like, oh, they, they did it because they're a lazy speaker or whatever. And it's like, no, it's efficiency. It's not laziness. If you realize you can use a lot less to get the same meaning across, you would be silly to not use that a lot less. And so, you know, save your time for the more important things. So you have time By for later. Way, uh, I, I want to put a pin in that, or at least just muse on that for one reason. Often you'll see conlingers get sidetracked where it's like, or, or linguists too. It's like, no language ever does this. Or Conlayer says, you know, I'm going to have my language have, you know, 5 billion words for the seventh page of a book. Um, and it's like, if you're looking at natural languages, I wish I could get these Conlayers and these linguists in the same room to tell them there's a reason why natural languages are the way they are. It's not the case that languages can't do these things. It's just not very practical. That's why. And there's really no other explanation needed beyond that. It's not like, oh, it's impossible for a language to learn this, or it's impossible for a human being to learn this. That's ridiculous. No, it's just not practical. Not efficient. <laughs> not efficient. Um, okay. So as a side note, yeah. another way of saying, do you have power that I could envision asking in a language where electricity is a thing or, you know, whatever, um, would be something like, do your lights burn? Hmm. Meaning like, are they, I like that something, or it could be noise related. Um, is your house crackling? <laughs> you know, like you could think about all these different ways to be like, how could they say that? Cause you're right. Like at the point where, um, there's a very short expression in English 
if you need three sentences to convey the same thing in your language, you may start thinking like, is this something they talk about a lot? Because if so, they're going to shorten it. Mm -hmm. They're not going to keep doing that very inefficient way of speaking um, unless it is, again, like something that maybe electricity is so uncommon in your world that like you really do need three sentences because people would be like, wait, what? They have what? Um, and you would need to actually explain the concept and and whatnot to be able to translate that sentence. Well, you know, we were watching uh, The Gilded Age and there it was actually a kind of topic around town. Mm -hmm. There is electricity in that house. Yeah. You know, and that was a story at the time, mm -hmm. you know, and that was certainly true of our world at one point in time. It's not anymore, but there was a time where it's like, probably you'd be more likely to say there is electricity at right. some place because simply be there being electricity that was the news <laughs> that was right the right part. <laughs> you know what's interesting hmm. i would never say for a house mm -hmm. maybe i no let me take back that never i don't think i would say for a house the power is on i would say the power is out mm -hmm. i would not say the power is in um the electricity is out, fine, but I would not say the electricity is in. You mean I on? could say I could say on, but no, but the out and in. Oh. Versus like if I say the electricity is off, off. I'm assuming somebody turned it off, like you didn't pay your bills, <laughs> versus the electricity is out, meaning like there was a natural disaster. But I can't say it's in. <laughs> I can say it's on, but not in. Well, that's because that's not the type of out it is. The, right. It's the it's the metaphor of um, a filled jar. Mm. So you can be out of liquid in the jar, but mm. you're not in of liquid in the jar. What would you be? Full. I don't know. There's. I don't know. There's electricity in the house. You can say that. Yes. Yes. There's liquid in the jar. But you can't just say the electricity is in. It's like you can't say the liquid is in. Mm. Wow. Okay. So these are all, all things to think about. And yeah. I think we just blew yeah. our own minds. Yeah, we did. Cause that's, I mean, like forget electricity. It's like, uh, there is no water in the jar. The water is out. Mm -hmm. There is liquid in the jar. The water is in. You can't say it. Why not? But you can say the doctor is in. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So this was really what I hope a, a fun deep dive into something very specific uh, that I think sometimes we take for granted when we are speaking, you know, in our native languages or your first languages, um, or even a second language you know very well. Um, these are just things that you can do without really thinking about conceptually what do they mean and how would how would another language use these things? Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes you don't have to overthink it. For some languages, they also use have in these situations. And so for some of them, it's like, that's fine. You know, you don't have to reconceptualize every single use of to have um, or whatever word you're working with. But if it has been semantically bleached for a language you're very familiar with and you're trying to translate it into another language, uh, it can be really fun to choose different verbs that get semantically bleached and in their own ways um, to translate these. Yeah. You know, by the way, it'd be fun to... to add this list to the, um, you know, to the podcast. Oh, to the thing. actual yeah. link. And then we never even got to your list. And so we That's can add- That's because you yours. did it. 
All Did of, I hit all yours? Yeah, all of mine are on there. I couldn't believe that you you got both, you know, to have out and to have it in for. It's like, I thought I was really clever coming up with those. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> it was clever. We're just both clever. Yeah. Aw. All right. Well, we hope that you had fun. Mm-hmm. And now every time. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or had a laugh um, as we had this chat during our podcast. Uh, I don't know. I'm not going to stop. Sorry. It's going to get really, Yeah, you're going to have to, (laughs) um, but we, um, sorry, I don't know why I said, but there, that was totally the wrong conjunction. I really Mm. should have said, and, Mm. um, you know, until in Russian, ah, means both and, and, but well, perfect. I was doing a little Russian moment. Mm. Um, and or but we hope you have a wonderful, week slash month until next time we hear or see you uh and in the meantime stay grammar stay grammar bye everybody